happy Halloween, all you Hollywoodos. We have a two-parter for you because we decided not to give you one, but two Halloween treats. Let's dive into the supernatural world with magician and apparitionist extraordinaire Aidan Sinclair with his incredible show, 57 Ghosts, a theatrical paranormal experience featuring the legends of hauntings aboard the Queen Mary and his stories of the Stanley Hotel. Sinclair takes us on a bone-chilling journey through two notoriously haunted locations. The Queen Mary, a historical ocean liner turned hotel in Long Beach, California, and the infamous Stanley Hotel nestled in the picturesque Colorado Rockies of Estes Park, Colorado, which serves as the haunting backdrops for his mind-boggling illusion experiences. Sinclair seamlessly merges history and magic, creating an eerie atmosphere that will open your mind while keeping you entertained. From communicating with restless spirits to performing jaw-dropping tricks that defy logical explanation, he crafts an experience like no other. He has plenty of experiences, plenty of history, and plenty of ghost stories, along with all 57 of his ghosts aboard the Queen Mary. So you know the drill by now, guys. Grab that salt lamp or sprinkle that circle of salt around you because we are going to bell, book, and candle these two episodes with our special guest, magician and apparitionist, Aiden Sinclair, along with all of his ghosts. Let's get Holly Weird with Aiden Sinclair. Welcome to Holly Weird Paranormal, guys. I am your host, Tandy Merhab Chavez. Oh, I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. And we have one hell of a spooky Holly Weird oh, treat yeah. for you. Um, you guys have been dying, no pun intended, for us to cover something about the Queen Mary. And, you know, Bryce and I are like, yeah, but we want it, we want to do it justice. We want right. to do it with the right people, especially the people who work and know all about the Queen Mary, more than all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided to bring on Aiden Sinclair mm-hmm. onto the show as a big trick or treat for you guys. Aiden actually is the head man, the public figure of the Queen Mary. He's the apparitionist, the historian of the Queen Mary. He's had many ghost stories. He's had many experiences, both with yeah. living and the dead. And he is also the brainchild behind 57 Ghosts, the theatrical experience on the Queen Mary Aiden, welcome to Hollywood Paranormal. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. We, let's jump into it. Tell yeah. us <laughs> from the very beginning to now, what synchronicities of the universe led you to the Queen Mary and to do what you're doing right now? Mm. Oh, wow. There's a lot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I first uh, I first did a show on the Queen Mary in 2012 and uh, there was a steampunk convention and it was awesome like the oh. it was like steampunks all in victorian outfits and and it just you'd see women in parasails you know and these amazing dresses walking up and down the promenade deck and it it felt like you really did step back in time mm-hmm. so wow. when i got moved to do that show i was like man i it would be awesome to just do a show here always um but the the, the stars didn't align it just wasn't a thing so um, I opened a theater at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, the famous Shining Hotel. 
mm. and started doing shows there. And at, at some point in time, the hotel company that manages the Queen Mary uh, went out and managed the Stanley Hotel for a little while. And they got what? to see the show. And it was just this serendipitous like, hey, you know, we have this haunted ship and you're doing the show at this haunted uh-huh. hotel. And uh, would would you like to bring it out here? And I was like, actually, I emailed you guys about doing exactly that like five years ago. And nobody ever emailed me back. And they're like, yeah, that person's gone. So, <laughs> so a literal so, ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they brought me out. And uh, in 2018, we opened a show. Uh, we converted a space called the Revenant Room in, on the B deck forward section of the ship. And we ran the show there for about two years, and and it was wonderful. Um, uh, during the peak season of like April through Halloween, we were running shows about five days a week, and then uh, in the off season, kind of November through April, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday shows, and they were always popular. They always did really well, and then the pandemic hit, and the world changed. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. as soon as we knew that this thing was going on, it, honestly, once. Disney said that they were going to close. That's kind of what made it real, I think, for a lot of people. They're like, holy crap, Disney, Disney doesn't happen. close for anything. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Uh, and then Disney was like, oh, we're going to be closed for six weeks. So we're like, all right, we're just going to suck it up. We'll be closed for six weeks. And six weeks for the Queen Mary Ooh. turned three years. You know, it wow. just... Yeah, I remember you know, that. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. So the cool thing about it, though, for us was that uh, we had such a good relationship with the Queen Mary that even though the ship was closed, uh, we were one of the few people that were allowed onto the ship. Wow. I mean, no here. way. Yeah. So really? three years that the ship was closed was um, about once a month. You know, we'd come in and reset our security system and kind of check on everything and yeah. make sure everything was all right. But in those times, I was literally the only living person on the ship. Or wow. myself and my fiance, say Becca, we would be the how many you had experiences that they were heightened yeah. because I, I heard a lot of things that you know the mary was you know is more haunted when you know the pandemic hit because no one was coming in and out of it and apparently there are a lot more ghost stories during that time yeah. surprisingly to me i think the ship is more active when there are people around mm-hmm. it got really quiet and eerie because uh my fiance becca runs the great ghost project she does you know paranormal investigation on the ship uh and the um, the interactions kind of mm-hmm. slowly went away, you know. Oh, so there, there's that kind of question in the paranormal of, of whether or not we, the living, kind of serve as batteries a little bit. You yes. know, that it takes some energy to bring that energy out. Yeah. So really curious of like, you know, like why the, why are the interactions going down, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and then we came back and uh, the ship start, was going to open in May and, uh, we got really excited about coming back and started having discussions with them early last year. And it was like, okay, we're going to open in January. Okay, uh, February. Uh, um, and now the the city owns the ship. You know, it's not leased out to anybody. So there's a direct commitment with the city of Long Beach, which is is great for the ship. She's getting the she's getting the repairs that she needs. She's getting the service that she needs. There's an incredible amount of oversight, you know, to make sure that you know the money that's going into the ship stays in the ship and revitalizes. So all of that is really positive. But when you, as a contractor coming onto the ship, because we don't work for the Queen Mary, we're an independent entity. Um, that means our approval process took longer because it's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's there's multiple layers of contracts that have to be reviewed. You know, all the legal stuff's got to get taken care of. 
And also the insurance requirements are exponentially, we had insurance before, but now we really have insurance kind of thing. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Because the city wants to cover, you know, they're thinking being that if someone comes to the seance and then after the show, they fall down a flight of stairs. Oh, yeah. You know, they're not just going to sue us. They're going to sue the ship. Mm-hmm. So literally carry insurance for the entire ship now, which is wow. crazy when you think about it. You're like, not in a million years did I think I needed to have, you know, I needed to have my own insurance for the Queen Mary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, okay, car insurance, house insurance, renter's insurance, check. And oh yeah, this big ship. This long- ship, uh, yeah. ship insurance. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but uh, we, we finally got all that done. And uh, then they're like, well, there's only like three weeks before Halloween. Can you really be open in three weeks? We're like, absolutely. So yeah. for the last three weeks, we, um, literally tore down the room, rebuilt it uh, where the seance is, uh, and wow. restored this space. Um, new carpeting and uh, kind of uh, restored the the original work and mirrors that were in the room. And wow! And and that was part of it is to like how do we bring the ship back to life and let people experience what it was, you know, and what it could be. So wow! So it's been wonderful. It really has. Yeah. It looks like a labor of love in that room. You feel it. Like it does feel spooky, but the way you guys had set up, it's perfect. Mm, and it, I mean, you, you say it at the top of the show, not to give too much of it away, but yeah. our deck is, it is one of the most active parts mm. of the ship. And we've heard of other parts that are very yeah. common, especially when it comes to the storytelling of the Queen Mary. Can you tell us a little more about the ghost stories of the art deck? And yeah, there's, yeah. There's a just incredible history here. So like mm-hmm. Sands yeah. is located is at the base of the R deck stairs in B in, and it's right down the stairs from B three forty and the the B room, you know, the B deck. Mm-hmm. And to me, B deck is the most paranormally active part of the ship. From the rope hold um is also you kind of go up to B deck and then down to R. So the rope hold is on our deck. That's where the collision took place in the nineteen forties. And wow. so there's crazy activity there. There's uh there were two desks on the staircase that go down to B deck. So um, there's activity around that staircase a lot. And there's, wow. there's a residual haunting that seems to happen right outside the tourist class nursery. So uh, the other side of our wall is the pool right behind me, behind that wall is the pool. Oh my uh, God. So, um, so you, you have all of this kind of iconic history that, that lingers here, so to speak. Um, so our constant battle though, is there's been, there are so many people that come here, mm. you know, investigate. And um, some people, I think, bring things here and leave them behind, which isn't necessarily great. Thank um, you. <laughs> Room yeah. B340. Yeah. Um, and, and B340 is a great story. Like, um, you know, people come here and I have heard people say that, oh, somebody was murdered in that room brutally and mm-hmm. never happened. Yes. Never murder in that space at all. Um, the story of B340, though, is paranormally really compelling because... The, sh- the room was part of a haunted experience. That's what started. Disney, when they owned the ship, wanted to have kind of a haunted house vibe. So they tricked out that room with a whole lot of special effects. And that's where they started. So, you know, faucets would turn on and doors would open and there'd be knocking in the walls. And then Disney left. And when Disney left, all of the, a lot of those special effects were left in the room. They didn't take them out. And some of those things operated on timers. They were automatic. So now it's become a hotel room and people start staying in the hotel room and all of a sudden 
faucets are turning on and doors are opening and people got freaked out. Wow. I'm not staying in there. And it kept happening enough. The hotel was like the the new ownership, they didn't know. Mm. So like that room really is haunted. We gotta stop putting people in there because we have to refund everybody that we put in there. So they closed the room. And then a few years later they were like, Oh, um, we're not using the room, so we should probably take all the furniture out and you know, we could use that closet panel someplace else. So so they tore down the room and then when they removed the wall, they were like, What is this? You know, wow. why is there a panel with a button, you know, to turn this system on and off? And, you know. <laughs> so now they're like, holy crap. No wonder why people are won't stay in the room. There's stuff in this room that was made deliberately to scare people. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Not, not on purpose for, you know, not right. to scare them on purpose. It was no. just like, it was a yeah. show. Yeah. So, so the new ownership takes all of that out. Right. Mm-hmm. But now the room has a reputation. People, uh, the internet has been invented. People are typing things, saying things. Um, so then the ship gets smart and they're like, well, people feel like this is a haunted place. Let's sell it. Let's do it. Let's redo the room and reopen it and, and let people have their own experience. Wow. So they reopen the room and it's like $1,000 a night to stay in that room. And it sells out immediately. Yeah. And obviously, the people who buy the room first are paranormal investigators, people that are looking for ghosts. The crazy thing about this is now people go into the room and things are happening. The room is now active. So we have some questions as paranormal investigators about that of like, why? Yeah. What? There was nothing there before. Why is there something there now? It's what what caused it isn't real. And we, we really kind of have some questions about it is... Is it simply manifestation? Mm. Have so many people come to believe that there is a ghost in the room? Does that belief make it real? Yeah. Does that, you know, do, or do are we creating it ourselves? Yeah. Are we? Did we create an egregore? A pretty exactly. much. Yeah, yeah. A thought form. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of it. Like Jackie is also kind of. Did we create Jackie? Did we make this ghost? Because so many people have told her story and, and oh, think of God. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, but I can also tell you that while we were here in 2018 through 2020, almost every weekend there was someone who would rent out B340, and you would meet people who had recently been bereaved. I, I met I met a woman who had just lost her husband. I met mm. men who lost their wives, and they would go into the room with this idea of like, "This is a haunted ship, and I ghosts are here." Mm. So maybe if I go and talk to ghosts in B340, maybe they can go find my ghost and give them a message. Uh, You talked about this, of how people use the paranormal to process grief. And a lot of times it ends up with disappointment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's heartbreaking. But also there there is the idea that maybe sometimes that works. Mm -hmm. And, um, And if it does work, then... How many people have invited their departed to the ship? And most of these people are just grieving people who have no experience in the supernatural, the paranormal. Um, you know, they don't know about uh, casting a circle. They don't know about uh, asking a ghost to go home. They don't know about banishing. They don't know about binding. They don't know about all of these terms that practitioners of real magic would would use. Um so what happens when you, you summon force something and you don't know how to send it back? So where does it go? Where does that something go? Right. And it doesn't have to even be this supernatural thing. It can simply be that, that aggregate kind of creation of 
I miss this person so much, mm -hmm. so much energy into seeking them. Maybe that's a thing, you know, maybe you do conjure something. Uh, so I think there's a lot of things that are on the ship that are just like, all right, I'm here now. Now what do I do? You know, or, and I think that's why there's so many random crazy interactions on the ship that really don't measure up to the ship's history. So, but again, that's just my opinion. Like I don't, yeah. unfortunately, mm -hmm. none of this is tangible. You can't, you can't go, Hey, sit down. Let me talk to you. Why are you here? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and to add to that too, it's like the room presents you with the tools. Like they yeah. have a Ouija board and a crystal yeah. ball. They have divination tools. So yeah. And that's what I tell people. Yeah. Of course you're probably having an experience, even though this was a rig trick in the past, yeah. you have to imagine and, and remember that people come in and summon things, people that are not skilled in that concentration yeah. and they probably leave a couple of things behind or they leave things opened. Yeah, And um, I think a, a while ago we were chatting with someone who used to be a tour guide on the ship and he messaged us. He was like, yeah, you know, B340 is, you know, was something of Disney's past, but it was inspired from um, a story. I think Disney took the story from um, an actual family that stayed on the ship, but that family was murdered um, by the husband, but it was in a different state in a different yeah. city. Yes. Yeah, there's, this is, this is going to probably piss people off. Because there's obviously people <laughs> who follow this that you know, we all have. When our the truth heroes. pisses people off, you know you did right. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what I mean. Like you only know what you know, and then when mm -hmm. someone gives you something that counters that belief system, yeah, sometimes it's hard to let go of the story that you've learned. Yes, mm -hmm. so we all know that. Like a lot of the paranormal history on the ship came from Peter James. I, he, you know, this very famous TV medium guy, mm -hmm. uh, and Jackie's story comes from him. The murder mm -hmm. story came from him well peter james existed in a time when there was no internet mm -hmm. so you could really say anything and there was no way to go down the rabbit hole and verify things or to check records or and, and the, where peter james's stories start to fall apart is that because he traveled he would tell a story here on the queen mary and then he'd go someplace like um you know the um uh the sally house in kansas city mm-hmm and tell the exact same story. Wow. It, it was, they changed the name, but this, if you look at the story pattern, it is exactly the same. It's the same entity doing the same thing. I have contact with them and they're telling me these things uh, because the people in Kansas and Atchison didn't read. Nobody in Long Beach is going to see that story. Nobody's right. going to hear that story. Wow. Now, as he came up, there are people that trained under him, learned about paranormal investigating from him, so it's almost like having disciples, you know, that are yeah, are fiercely like, no, that's our he. Now you can't say that he's not real. Um, I never met the guy, so I can't judge by that. All I can judge is by the record, and the record is not legitimate. The the, le the record's bad, and wow. the story is one of those records. He worked on the ship, so he had access to some information, and there was uh, a telegraph, uh, you know, a radio message that was sent to the ship about a murder um, and it was involving a passenger in the ship. The actual murder took place in North Carolina. Um, a man murdered his entire family in North Carolina. The only connection that has to the ship is his wife, the woman that he killed. Her mother was from England and she was on the Queen Mary coming to the United States to see her grandchildren and her daughter. Wow. And mm. they've been murdered. So somebody sent a message to the ship 
saying, please don't let this woman see any newspapers. Um, this is not, she needs to hear about this. Wow. I'm the captain and yeah. not the media. So it was, it was a kind of a cautionary radio thing that said, hey, be advised, this family was killed. This passenger is in this room. Um, please break the news to her before she sees the newspaper. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's what the line was. That's what the ship did. They were protective of their passengers. Mm. Well, somebody, and it's a pretty gory story, why not tell the story? So there, there are two things that happened with that. Either A, Peter James read it, saw an opportunity to tell a story, and he told a, a lie. He, he made up a story. Or he told the truth about, oh, nobody died here, and, and there was this message. And just like playing telephone, the more that story got mm -hmm. changed over time, mm -hmm. suddenly it, it became something else. Wow. The downside is we don't know because there's no recording of him um, telling the story. And then there also becomes this question in the paranormal of, of mediumship. And um, I do think there is, I've met people who, who did things that I have no understanding of. That mm -hmm. as a magician, like I know, I know how I would go about getting information and revealing something. Um, but I've had experiences from mediums that they had told me things that they truly would have no way of knowing. Interesting. Uh, and those are interesting things when they happen. Yeah. So I do think there are people that are highly empathic and that maybe see things or feel things more than the rest of us. Yeah. But being said, is that something that's always on? You know? And I think there are some people who have might have that ability who who suddenly feel like you know what? I'm the batteries are charged and it's working today. Uh, but then tomorrow, maybe they're having a bad day and it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have an op They feel like they have to produce. Mm -hmm. so how do you produce this intangible thing? Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna fake it today. So mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we've heard of things like that happening. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are like that. Medium's a fraud. And I'm like, well, maybe yes. Then maybe what they just did today was fraudulent, but maybe. You, you can't say that they don't have an ability. Maybe they're just not a really great moral person to to be honest and go like, hey, I kind of see things sometimes, but today it's mm -hmm. not there. But but of course, when I, you get into things like gallery readings where you know people like John Edwards are like, okay, I'm sensing a dead person. <laughs> Their name starts with A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've been a part of one of those. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, like, ultimately, we're in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And people are out for that first. And there are parts of it that are genuine and real. And there are parts that are manufactured. That's just the way the industry is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just realized my battery's about to die. So I'm going to spin around and plug in. Okay. Uh, so sorry about that. I was oh, like, we're, we're at 5%. And I just realized that you are in the 57 Ghosts room. <laughs> You're yeah, yeah. Which, room. Which makes, well, we could give Amazing. you guys kind of a, we can give you guys something of a tour since we Yes, yeah, we're going to put this on our Patreon for yeah. sure so our fans can see it. And this is so amazing. There's the pictures of the 57 Ghosts. Ah, so or the, cool. the actual people that stayed on the ship and most likely had passed or passed away off the ship. I think of what you said that some of them may have passed away um, not on the ship, but they were still connected to the ship somehow. The ones behind me all passed on the ship. Except okay. For, uh, oh, except for one. Okay. Yeah, the really big picture of this guy, uh, that's Commodore Britton. And he was uh, he was the first captain of the ship. Oh, um, amazing. So he, he collapsed on the ship. 
So just before the ship was about to leave Southampton, he like had a heart attack and he collapsed. But he was still breathing and his heart, they say his heart was still beating when they took him off the ship. Uh, but within an hour, he died. Uh, so um, he's this weird gray zone of like, he didn't actually die on the ship. So he doesn't count as he's not, he's not one of the 57. Um, he would have been the 58th. Wow. So he wow. was, only. but what I find really cool is that the history of the ship has always been tied to death. Like the very first mm. uh, yeah. voyage, the first round trip from England to New York on its way back from New York. I'll see if I can, I can show them to you. Yeah, uh, of course. That guy right there, that little sailor looking guy. Um, right. Some mm. of these guys on this, on these pictures uh, are really cute. Like I was, I was saw, Ryan, I saw swimsuit. Went, the like, I know. Like, 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 oh, like, you know, in, 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 in Greece, the movie, he's a Marine. I'm a Marine. <laughs> I was looking. I was like, man, I, I realized I really like a man. In <laughs> the way. So they, uh, he was the first death on the ship. That was, uh, that was Mr. Golding. And he, uh, simply slipped on the deck. And when he fell, his head piece, hit a piece oh, of steel. Oh. And I remember it. that story. Yeah. So he was the first death. And then on the last voyage, uh, the sh ship coming here to Long Beach, uh, somebody died on that voyage as well. Um, also a crewman, uh, a salad chef, um, named Mr. Horsebaugh. Uh, he died of heat stroke. Um, the ship was never meant to go into warm water. It was made to go across the Atlantic. And to get it to Long Beach, it couldn't go through the Panama Canal. So they just sail it all the way around South America. And that put it in, in temperate climates that, you know, it wasn't meant to be in and the ship didn't have air conditioning. So the, uh, the temperature in some of the rooms was hitting as high as 130 degrees. Oh my God. So you can imagine like, oh, trying to, you know, sleep or, you know, anything. No. Yeah. Uh, and, and the few rooms that were air conditioned, that's where everybody went. And you've probably been in a room that has air conditioning, but you, you jam a hundred people in there and it doesn't really like Yeah. So, um, but, uh, I, I don't know if I can, I can probably show him to you, but you can see, uh, you can see him kind of right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So what was your process with this? Like, how were you able to research and attain and put together their stories like what would tell us like what was your journey into that and and it, was this like the inspiration for it for this entire seance in very much so well mm -hmm. when we opened our previous theater the revenant room mm -hmm. uh, we wanted to we wanted to do two things we wanted to clear the record because people were like i don't know did people die there or nobody died there mm -hmm. um there were murders there were suicides there mm -hmm. uh but um, we realized right away that first off, a lot of people, when they see the ship, they think of the Titanic and for some reason, you know, they think that nobody, oh my God, that was so long ago. They didn't have the internet. So we'll never know. And I'm like, and they, they had typewriters and they had log books and telegraphs. They, yeah. they, they wrote everything. And the White Star Line keeps really good um, or the Cooper White Star Line. Wow. Um, they kept great records. So yeah, that's. That's why we know no little girl ever drowned in the pool. Right. There's right. no record. There is a record of every one of these people. Um, we know who they are. We know what day they died, what voyage, whether they were going east or west, wow. and their cause of death was because it's written down. You know, the Queen Mary, when it's at sea, it's in international waters. So if it was going to New York and somebody died on the voyage, then 
it would the death certificate for that is in New York. Wow. If it if you passed going to England, then your body would be taken off the ship in England. So your death certificate is in England. So both of those have records. So it takes time and it takes research. Um, I like doing those things. I like going mm -hmm. down a rabbit hole and um, you know, and the records were difficult because names would be misspelled and then you got to go back to the ship and go like, okay, I need the passenger manifest for this voyage and then figure out who the hell this person was. Um, so it's hard, but it's worth doing because at the end of it, like, this is what happened and you know, you know, the truth. Yeah. And that's in, in finding the truth, you find really both heartbreaking things sometimes, uh, uh, there was a guy in World War II that all we knew was his death record, or record was fell from ship. So that sounds like he either jumped overboard or he fell overboard. Um, so we go down the rabbit hole of looking the guy up and finding what happens. And his death certificate's in New York. Turns out the guy actually was a, a an American soldier uh, who survived D-Day, fought all his way through Europe. Not a scratch, no Purple Heart, no nothing. You know, and he was a frontline medic. Um, amazing, amazing guy. And he died walking down the gangway from the ship to the pier in New York. There was no OSHA back then. There was no handrails. It was literally like a wooden plank going from the door of the ship down to the pier. And this soldier's got his pack. He's got all his gear. And, you know, and he was a little guy. He weighed like 135 pounds. And he's carrying 100 pounds worth of equipment. And at his, as he was walking, he slipped oh my and he God. fell. And when he fell, he landed on a steel barge that was in between the pier and the mm. ship. That's nice. Because if it was on water, that counted as dying on the ship. Because he wasn't officially off of the ship. But when you learn that story, you can't learn that story and be like, how messed up is that? Right. That the guy dies within sight of his family that are waiting oh. for him and just oh my God. after everything that he had survived. And, and yeah. So for me, that became kind of that final destination story of like how many times really. dodge death and now it it still finds you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's a touching story. You're touching on something that we talk about so often that I think is like really important to highlight that like the things that happened in the past, those people are the same as we are. Mm -hmm. Yes. To your point, like they did not have the internet. That's fine. But these were real humans with laws and dreams and life stories yeah and they deserve us now in the present honoring their lives by seeking out the truth like that's yes. the very least that we can do for them exactly what i was so, thinking like, like look we all love the sensational and the unexplainable like those are all cinematic amazing things but like that story is incredible and that truly happened to him like this one you know with all of these stories, we owe them the truth because they were real people. And I hope that that will be carried on when we pass. Like, yeah. I just think that's, that's such that's an important endeavor. Such a, a sensitive thing to me. Yes. There are so many people who, who venture into the paranormal in search of ghosts and they, they lose their humanity in doing that. Mm. Yes. You put it going. perfect. The perfect quote right there. Yeah. So and we, um, we never look for ghosts. We look for people. Oh, I love that. And yeah. that's something I I remember you being interviewed on our friend Bridget's podcast of Ghost oh, Minute. Yeah. Like you 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 even mentioned John Petter, yeah. one of the victims, who was yep. I believe he was crushed in door thirteen and people yeah. 
kind of mock his death by like, oh, like they 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 record themselves, you know, playing the same or supposedly the same game he played because yeah. I know there's debate about that. It was an accident yeah. or it was a game. Here we go again, like trying yeah. to correct the story. Yeah. And um, I just feel like in a way too, Eden, I feel like this was very serendipitous, uh, not serendipitous, but very synchronized. I feel like, you know, the ship wanted you to come and tell the stories of those that are no longer here because someone has to. <laughs> They're like, this it, is getting a little too out of hand with the edit. <laughs> and it's frustrating as hell because like the, you know, the the door 13 story is, is heartbreaking to me. Yes. Because it has been so exploited. It is so out in the world. And people are so cavalier about talking about somebody's death. And they they seem to forget that it happened in, in the 1960s. Wow. Yeah. His family is still alive. Mm-hmm. They're still here. And every time somebody writes some blog and puts his name in it, the family reads that. Mm. So they have been re-traumatized by that death for literally 50 years. Wow. Uh, and that that is infuriating. There there was even a time that, you know, the Queen Mary itself wasn't very sensitive. There was a, someone in the, in the attractions department one time, you know, 20 years ago when the paranormal was getting all popular. They're like, oh, here's a ghost story. Let's put a streaming live camera on door 13. Wow. So you could go on the Queen Mary website and you could yeah. maybe see something paranormal. Can mm-hmm. you imagine being that guy's family and mm-hmm. that, that you could turn on your computer and and stare at the place where the person you loved? left you yeah Oof. that's that's not cool and rightfully the family when they heard about it they were livid and and it took their reaction to take it down wow. but as they should that, yes but that should have never happened in the first place and then you have you know you have some uh, very different kind of paranormal investigators uh, if you were to watch television paranormal programs mm-hmm. uh, you could see someone like amy bruni and adam on kindred spirits approach something with compassion and an empathy. Um, they're kind in their approach. Or you can watch somebody else walk down a hallway and go, come at me, ghost, come at me, nah. you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it, it, that's, it, honestly, if you walked in, and then they're like, oh, I got scratched, I got pushed. Well, if you came into my house and we're, yes. and we're like, come, I'd push you down a flight of stairs too. Yeah, I'd be pissed <laughs> as well. I would definitely be so. pissed. Do you also coordinate the Facebook page? I believe there's a, there's the Queen Mary paranormal team. They have their own page on Facebook. That is, yeah. And uh, you did something very beautiful. I think on John Petter's birthday or his and his death anniversary, you put a you guys put a beautiful memorial. No, we, we don't do that. Oh, okay. Um, that, that paranormal team is no longer on the ship. Oh, okay. Uh, and that memorial is actually part of it uh, because yeah, it looks nice and it's beautiful. They never talk to the family. They never asked oh, wow. that would be okay. Um, and how exploitive is it to go like, oh, here's this famous death that happened on the Queen Mary. I'm going to go investigate that place on the day of his death and on his birthday. That investigator oh, wasn't doing that for Mr. Petter. He was doing that for himself. He was doing I didn't that even for, see that. <laughs> this will get clicks and views and likes. Yeah. It's a famous story. So that's definitely. Wow. Personally, I um I that's infuriating to me that 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 was done. Wow. Uh, when the Queen Mary reopened, it's those kind of things that actually the the management of the ship was like, that's not who we are, mm. uh, right? 
You know, there were stories being told on that paranormal investigation that weren't truthful. The longer they were here, the more sensational the stories would get. Oh, no. Uh, so when we opened our, our room, uh, my history with the paranormal was is very bizarre, is that I started as an entertainer and a magician mm. and got booked to, uh, to go perform at paranormal events because of the style of magic that I do. Um, and I have very dear friends that are television paranormal investigators, and they've had experiences that were, and I, and they're my friends. Mm-hmm. So I believe them. I believe the experiences that they had, but I hadn't had any, none. But my very first paranormal event, I went to uh, the Belvoir Winery in, in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was at an event that was hosted by Amy Bruni. And uh, uh, Dave Schrader uh, was there. And she goes, hey, I need an extra person just to kind of make sure, you know, if Dave's going to lead the line, would you just make sure nobody gets lost, you know, yeah. doing that? And I was like, sure. Um, and I kind of wanted to see what a paranormal investigation was. So we go into this room and uh, they had laid out three K2 meters right next to each other. And I know what a K2 meter is. I know how it works and what it does. Um, we walk into this room and there's there's a young girl that's maybe 14, 15. And you know, she's asking questions and the lights are lighting up, you know, all of them. And uh, hmm. Dave Schrader goes, so what's going on in here? And she goes, oh, we're talking to a little boy. And Dave goes, how do you knew that? And she says, well, every time we, we've been asking questions and, and the K2 meters keep going off in response. And Dave goes, are all of them lighting up every time? And she says, yes. And he goes, well, that doesn't really mean it's a ghost. I mean, it, that could be somebody's cell phone setting that off. Mm-hmm. It could be, yeah. It could be someone keying a radio, setting it off. And because they're all going off at the same time, it's very obviously electricity and signal that's going through the room and it's affecting all of the meters. And this little girl was wonderful. You know, little 16-year-old kid, you know, very Wednesday Adams vibe, mm-hmm. just very deadpan. She looks at him and goes, that's a good point, Mr. Schrader. And then she looks back at the K2 meters and says, can you just touch the one on the left? Smart. And the, the kick two meter on the left peaks out to red. The other two are right next to it and nothing. Wow. And you're like. That's how you do it. <laughs> that, that, that's not a thing. What's hitting that one? If it was a radio, it would light all of them up. That's how they work. Mm-hmm. So this little girl goes, thank you. Thank you. Would you touch the one on the right? And then that one goes. And then she goes, thank you so much. Would you touch the one in the middle? And I'm watching this and I'm blown away because I know. That should not be happening. Was this in but, the orphanage or was this in the in the abandoned hospital? It was in the abandoned hospital downstairs. Oh, that place. And I was it, there two years it, ago and oh my God. Room. So then I look at Schrader, who's like the pro. I'm like, you do this, right? <laughs> I look at Schrader and I go, <laughs> I go, what is that? And he looks at me and he goes, I got nothing. <laughs> so that was really intriguing to me. So fast forward about three months, I get booked at the Stanley and start building my show there. And the very first day I walk into the Stanley, it was a summer day, the no air conditioning in the room we're in, it's sweltering. And my assistant's carrying in all, all this stuff. And as soon as she puts stuff down, she goes, God, it's hot in here. And just a moment later, this window goes, oh. and opens. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, did you see that? That was the ghost of the window. And I was like, it was probably the wind. You know, like the window probably wasn't closed. It was, you know, I didn't know at the time it's a transom window. And the way the window opens is you actually have to put a hook in it and unlock it and, it, if, and lower it with a stick. 
Wow. Otherwise, it'll drop. It just it opens by gravity. So, mm -hmm. um, and you have to open it slowly so you shatter the frame. And that window does not open. It doesn't do that. It that it only does that if you lower it. But still, I blew that off, and for like a year, strange things would happen. And I'd be like, ah, eh, it probably was this. Eh, it probably was that. It's not a good, I don't believe in that kind of thing. So all these little things would happen. I'd ignore them. And then things started happening that I couldn't ignore. Wow. And that's, that's when things changed for me from skeptical magician to there's some really interesting things in the world that I can't see. Mm -hmm. and I'm really curious about this stuff. And wow. I, want, I want to explore it, but I want to explore it in a way that I'm not going to be manipulated. You know, so the moment somebody walks up to me and is like, oh, my dowsing rod, say, uh, you're touching yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> my Ouija board said, you touch the Ouija board. If you can touch it, you can physically manipulate it, whether you think you're doing it or not. You're subconscious. Yeah, conscious, yes. Yeah. So you know, I think that some of your skepticism was because you came from a world where you are always seeing behind the trick. Like, is that? I think so. I think yeah. so. Like, That's I, so fascinating to me. It, it lets you see. I think as a magician, like you learn secrets as part of our craft. Yeah. Unfortunately, the secret, learning that secret diminishes the art for me mm. because you, once you know the secret, the magic is gone. You know how it's right. done. It's a you have to sacrifice the joy for yourself right. to then supplicate it for others yeah. completely. So all you get to really keep is an appreciation for the performance at that point. Wow. Once you know how it works, when I watch another magician, um, I can see something that I know how it's done and have deep appreciation for its presentation of like, that was beautiful. That was artistic. You know what I mean? Um, or the opposite of like, oh my God, that was poorly done. You know, or mm -hmm. you, you could have really done something amazing with that. Mm -hmm. You used it in a, in the cheapest, simplest, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's that. So it, it may, I think in, in, in investigating the paranormal for me, the things that changed things for me were things that were quantifiable. Wow. And if you can't, if if they fall so far outside of mathematics and science, then what is it? Uh, and the mo moment that did that for me was at the Stanley, I wanted to write a show about someone who was really there, um, but not somebody who died at the Stanley. Mm -hmm. Somebody who lived. That's, that was my point, was that, uh, and it's still my point on the Queen Mary, is that people come here because all of these people died and they forget about the thousands of people who lived here, the thousands mm. of people who sailed on the ship, partied on the ship, got married on the ship, fell in love on the ship. Yeah. And I think those moments are just as, as powerful generators of haunts as negative moments. Yeah. I, we get so caught up on the negative, the gory, the scary that we lose our empathy sometimes and go, you know, this place is actually really special to a lot of people. So there was a little girl who had stayed at the Stanley from 1909 to 1919, from the age of six until the age of 16. What? Her story was extraordinary. It was just where her father, and when it was just her and her dad, uh, her mother died giving birth to her. And her dad wrote a lot of journals about his little girl. Um, he was a lawyer by craft, and he wrote a lot about her because she was autistic. But this was in 1909, so the word autism didn't even exist. Right. No hands. Right. Nobody knew what was wrong with this kid. She was just, she had moments of violence where she'd punch herself. She was wow. not full at times. And throughout her life, she went from being nonverbal to being fully verbal and functional. Uh, and the way she would later write her journals was that uh, music is the thing that allowed her 
to kind of see the world and connect. Mm -hmm. And that's what drove her to the Stanley is they had some of the finest mus musicians in the world who perform at the concert hall every summer. And they lived in Denver, so they would they would relocate up to Estes Park for the summer, mm -hmm. mainly so that she could be around all of this music. So end result, though, is at the age of 16, her father dies. Mm -hmm. That's her guardian. It's the one person. And they were out on a walk when it happened. And the police get called because there's this hysterical woman who is punching herself in the street. Now, it's 1919. Uh, still, nobody knows about autism. And the police don't know how to deal with it, so they restrain her. They put her in handcuffs. That makes her worse. Oh. And she goes from being fully functional back to being nonverbal. And you can imagine what kind of trigger that is. Here's the one person that you love, the one person who takes care of you. Your entire family just died dead at your, at your feet. Wow. So the girl's name was Lillian McGuire, and she ends up, because she has no other family, becoming institutionalized. And she lives for about 10 years. She dies at the age of 26 in an asylum in Pueblo, Colorado. Uh, so we started off with just researching this story because in the, the Stanley Hotel record book, there was an entry in the book that said, Mr. Michael McGuire and daughter Lillian Six. It was intriguing to me because all the other entries are Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Right. Lily was the only child listed by name. So that was interesting. You know, like, what? why does this little girl have her own entry? And it was also intriguing because in, in the early 1900s, men didn't raise children. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we take for granted today the single dad. It's a, it's normal. Mm -hmm. In her time, it wasn't. You know, it, was, it would have been socially acceptable when this guy's wife died to just pass the kid off to grandma orphanage. And there would have been yeah. no, nobody would have thought less of him. Wow. And he raised that child himself. So... That's what started our research was this guy of like, who is this guy? And that led to the journals, which led to her story, which led to our institutionalization. Um, and then we were like, well, if she was institutionalized, nobody claimed her stuff. I wonder if the state still has it. The state did. Wow. And everything that was in her room when she died in cardboard boxes in Pueblo. So we were high. Yeah. I, and there are there are millions of these things that are out there in the world that if you actually take the time to research, it takes immense amount of time. Right. You know, different people do different things with their life. And some people, when they crawl into bed at night, they scroll Instagram for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I go down these little rabbit holes of like, oh, <laughs> person and what agency might have that? And, you know, and I get more curious. So we bought her stuff and in her box was her journal. And though she became nonverbal, later in life, she started writing again. And the last words that she wrote in her book were the words, if I had one wish, I wish I could go back to the Stanley. It's wow. the last place I remember being truly happy. Wow. That sentence has, from that point forward in my life, defined what makes a ghost. Hmm. That That's is so, that is true. It's the last thing she wrote. And it, it made me look at ghosts differently. It made me look at the paranormal differently and go like, oh, maybe it's not trauma. Yeah. Uh, obviously trauma I think can cause it you know um, I especially with like residual hauntings you know somebody walks through a door and gets shot oh yeah I mean those that is such thing there is such thing as trauma apparitions that occur yeah, yeah. You know, that yeah. moment so tragic and so traumatic maybe it does create something um, but with intelligent haunts I think it's a choice I think it's someone going I'm happy there I'm going back there yeah I'm staying there and I, I think human beings have an immense power of will 
and yes. the manifestation of that will at the moment of death. Maybe that, you know what I mean? You, you see people who fight and hang on, you know, um, in my time in the service, I saw guys get wounded mm. that, that should have been dead. They should have died, but they had such a strong will. They were like, nope, I'm, no, they, they kept fighting. Wow. Right. They didn't quit. And that will carry them through to the next day. If your will can be that powerful, you know, how powerful is it at the moment of your death? So anyhow, I, I write this show about Lily. The downside is I know Lily's story. I know how it ends and it doesn't end well. Mm. So six months into telling her story every night, I would find that I would leave the hotel and be sad. I'd be upset. Uh, I would feel like, you know, I wish that I was there for her. You know, this very powerful feeling of, uh, you know, Lily's story doesn't end badly if it happened today. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody would have been like, oh, she's on the spectrum. We need to help this person. You know what I mean? There would have been mm -hmm. facilities and research and a way to help her. She didn't have it. There was no, she had no voice. She had no advocate. So after six months, I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this show anymore. I just don't want to talk about her anymore. I don't want to tell her story anymore. Uh, I'm sad. And I was going home sad, you know, there was times I'd, uh, I'd be doing the show and I would get choked up. I would get, mm -hmm. you know, I'd almost have a hard time getting through the show yeah. because I, I'd start thinking about her. So, so I wake up one day and I'm like, that's it. We're not going to talk about Lily. We're going to do a new show. So the new idea for a show was to take all of these haunted artifacts that I had collected over, you know, three or four years. It was about 40 different things, things from the Titanic, uh, wow. thinking of Jack the Ripper case. So some of some of them were just historic things and other things were like haunted dolls and things that people had given me and been like, Hey, get this out of my house and Ouija boards. <laughs> so, uh, so I put all this stuff on stage and I had the idea that if I threw out a beanbag, you would catch the beanbag and then you would look at everything and then you'd pick something and whatever you pick, that's what the show is going to be about. Oh, so for me, it was like doing jazz. Like I would uh -huh. watch stage and really not even know what I was going to talk about <laughs> until that choice was made. So, I threw the beanbag out the very first night. We own Lily's doll, an old porcelain doll. We own it. So I put it on stage. First night, person looks at everything and then they go, what's the story with that doll? So I was like, all right, I guess we're going to talk about Lily one more time. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That, wow. That you always gravitate to the dolls. FYI. Yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the thing is we had like six, you know, and we, had, we have like a ventriloquist doll that's way more creepy. You know, like if it was me, I'd go, that would have been my friend. I'd be like, I'm going to go with that buddy. Helping out the wooden boy with the buggy eyes, you know, because <laughs> he's creepy as fuck. You know, I like that. That's that's where I would go. So I throw out the bag. They picked Lily's doll, and then that happened 36 nights in a row, night after night after night. So after it happened like five times, I looked at my assistant. I was like, Is there a light that's like hitting her? Is she? Is it the eye line or something about? So we moved her and it didn't matter where we put the doll. Somebody picked her. So on, yeah, on the last night, we get to the last night and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something I said I wouldn't do. I'm going to try to manipulate the show. I'm going to, I'm going to deliberately choose beforehand. I'm not going to throw the beanbag over my shoulder. I'm going to throw it deliberately to somebody that I think will not pick the doll. So while people were coming into the room, I was looking at everybody and I was like, who's not going to pick that doll? And what I decided was there was this like 14 year old boy and he had like the hip hop saggy jeans and his hat was kind of kicked sideways. Of course. Watching his sister, you know, yeah. I was like, he's a dick. 
I was like, that kid is a dick. He All 14-year-olds, truly. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's a boy. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to, he's going to pick the wooden dummy. He's definitely ventriloquist doll, or he's going to pick the mummified human head that's on the stage. You know, he's he's going to pick a boy thing. Fair. <laughs> you know, he's not going to pick the prettiest doll on stage. So I throw the beanbag to him, and he looks at everything. He really kind of enjoyed getting the attention. and You know, he soaked it in for a few minutes. And uh. then made eye contact with Lily's doll. Oh. Everything changed. He looks at the doll and I, a kid took off his hat and said, what's the story with that doll, sir? His God. <laughs> yeah. And mom, his mother's looking at him like, sir, you know, like he wasn't that kid. He wasn't that kid that talks to people like that. And I looked to the back of the room and, and my assistant Madeline was at, at the back and I made eye contact with her and she literally yelled out, threw up her hand. She goes, what the Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> like you can't get rid of me that yeah. easily. <laughs> no, so this is where it gets really trippy. Is that night after the show, I was like, "I'm solving this problem." So I took the doll down and I wrapped her up in velvet and I put her in a box. Hmm. It's like that's it. She's just not going to be on stage tomorrow. Not on stage. Nobody can pick her. Problem solved. Why didn't I think of that 37 shows ago? So we do that. We wrap it up, and the Later that night, after she's put into the box, there were three different tours that went through the Stanley Hotel where people took photographs and they were in the presence of tour guides. The picture was witnessed. And in that picture, there is a little girl that looks exactly like Lillian McGuire that's transparent. You can see through her walking through the picture. Stop. Swear to God, one of them ended up going viral and it's a, it's people standing around the grand staircase. <gasps> and this one was taking a picture of her family that was sitting down on the staircase and in the picture, there's a little girl walking down the stairs. Wait, I think I've seen that one. Yes. Oh, uh, my God. And out into the world. And then people were like, oh, it was Photoshopped. It was fake. Of course. I, I was there. Yeah. I was there when it happened. The tour guide was actually a very horrible lady that would yell at people and was very mean. She was mad because this woman took the picture and then screamed. So she was like, why are you screaming? And then she showed the picture, you know, and everybody was like, holy shit. You know, because everybody knew there was that little girl there. So oh. that synchronicity, that little thing happening was enough to make me go like, what is that? What, you know, and now. I see. Oh, you, sorry. I just pulled it up. It? I thought yeah. I was fine. I was looking she's for naked. it. You know, yet right here. Dress, right. She looks like she's in a little blue dress walking down the stairs. Yeah. There's like a couple of them. I think this might be it. I, I could be wrong. I don't know if that's the one. That's the one. That's her. <gasps> Wait, where did they go? Yeah, oh. but you just found that was it. Yeah, that's the one right here. You yeah, there, right there. Yeah, and there was and and there was no tour. There was no child on the staircase. We're gonna post this on our Instagram, yeah. guys. By the way, oh, I, so, at first I thought you were gonna say that her doll was gonna be crisscross applesauce on a chair smoking a cigarette, yeah, like no. looking at you, uh, like. Uh, no, but, <laughs> but here's where it gets crazy: is is like after that, uh, I went out and I did. Uh, Michigan Paracon one summer. Oh, yeah. That's, it, mm -hmm. It's a great weekend. And then I came back and I was exhausted though because I did like Friday, Saturday at Michigan Paracon. And then without sleeping after the show Saturday, flew back to the Stanley to do the show at the Stanley on Sunday night. Jeez. So I spent up for like 36 hours and I did something in the show and then I was so tired. I didn't do the right preparation for it. So there was something that happens in the show that I should know the answer to something. 
And as I'm doing this trick, which is, that's all it is, is a trick. Halfway through the trick, I realize I have no way of gaining the information that I need. None. I have no way of, I can't finish. Hmm. I have no way to finish this trick. So I, as I'm returning to the stage, I'm like, oh, fuck, how do I get myself out of this? I'm, I'm in trouble. So because you're dealing with ghosts, things can go wrong. A, a ghost could not know the answer as well. So, so I call up this little girl to the stage and, uh, the nature of the trick was trying to find a lost object that was lost in the room. So before I could give this girl any instructions whatsoever, she comes up on stage and says, I know what you want me to do. You want me to find that thing that's lost? And I said, yes. And she looks, makes eye contact with this guy and she goes, he has it. And I, I said, why did you say that? And she goes, the little girl told me. I said, what wow. girl? And she goes, the little girl sitting on the floor next to me. Oh, that's weird. She's gone now. <gasps> and I'm looking at her parents Get and her parents ghost. were like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> um, so then I look at the guy and I was like, do you have the thing? And the guy opens his hand and there it is. There's the thing we're looking for. And I look back at the little girl. She looks at me and she goes, told you and walked away. <laughs> wow. So I'm on stage like going, thank you, Lily. <laughs> you know, like, thank you for saving my bacon. Uh, <laughs> regardless, she has your back. <laughs> yeah, it was a trip. So fast forward from that to 2018, and we're getting ready to move out to the Queen Mary. So as we're moving, um, all those haunted things, like they were moving to the ship. So I couldn't put stuff on stage anymore. I, I was bringing our whole collection out here. So I was trying to think of like, okay, what do we do for this season at the Stanley if we don't have stuff to put on stage? And I had this idea of, um, I, I'd watched a documentary, uh, documentary about the Philip experiment. Yeah. Uh, if you're familiar with the idea of conjuring a ghost and creating oh, sure. ghosts and uh, mm -hmm. global consciousness and, you know, what happens. And it's really intriguing, you know, to see a bunch yeah. of scientists, you know, go like, we're going to prove that there's no such thing as the paranormal. And at the end, the scientists are like, we don't fucking know. We don't know what that <laughs> was. Yeah. We don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, so I had this idea to do a show that the audience would conjure a ghost. Uh, mm -hmm. So the show began by asking the audience to imagine that standing next to me was a shadow um, and to give the shadow no gender mm -hmm. just give it um, a size it could be the shadow of an adult or the shadow of a child nothing more and uh, then I would randomly pick somebody and say what do you see what do you imagine uh, adult or child and the first night the person said child said, wonderful um, so who else in the room was thinking child and that night, there were about 150 people in the room, and everybody who was thinking child kind of raised their hand. So I said, please keep your hands up. Those of you who have your hands up are now going to create the identity of this child. So I go to the first person. I said, boy or girl? Boy. Um, what color is the boy's hair? Red. Okay. What color is the boy's eyes? Blue. How old is the boy? Eight. And tell me something that the boy likes. Vanilla ice cream. Tell me something the boy doesn't like. He doesn't like girls. Okay. He's eight. You know, so we continue yeah. going around the room in this fashion. And finally, I, the last person with their hand up, I said, um, tell me the boy's name. And the person said, Thomas. So now that everything that happened in the show, it was Thomas. It was all done through Thomas, right? So this is where it gets weird. We ran that show for four weeks, no more. And over four weeks, um, a total of 16 different audiences all numbering about 150 to 300, um, 16 different audience 
uh, created a little boy named Thomas with red hair and either blue or green eyes. What the hell is that? Like the the math of that is is crazy. Math is not mathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Add to that another ten audiences, ten totally different audiences created an old man between the age of fifty five and sixty five, uh, who had a bushy white beard, who dressed in a tuxedo, and his name was Edward. So, Thomas and Edward are both very Edwardian period name, names, yeah. and this is where it gets interesting. Is that it was never Tommy. It's never Ed, never Mm -hmm. Eddie, Edward, Thomas. So when we started seeing the trend happen, I was like, huh, all right. When I get to the naming point, so I got to a point where the red-haired boy was coming up so much that I was like, all right, when I see red-haired boy, I'm on stage like going, here we go. You know, it was like, what's going to happen? So I'd get to the point of the naming. And when it got to the naming, I started deliberately looking for someone young, you know, someone that was in their teens or 20s. Because to me, like a a 16-year-old, they would say a contemporary name. So when I looked at, when I look at a 16-year-old, I expect to hear like Skylar or Tyler or Logan or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not, not Thomas. Every time it's Thomas. Every time. So it made us kind of, as a company, we were sitting back watching it happen going, where's that coming from? Who's Thomas and who's Edward and why is that happening? Hmm. we, we decided to start calling this our shadow project, the idea of creating a shadow and seeing what happens. And that year I ended up going to uh, Michigan Paracon again. It was the last time I got to go. And it was a, it was a freaking disaster. Like the, mm-hmm. And it was a disaster because uh, Brad, who, who runs it, is amazing. And I'll, when we take the show, it's really heavy. You know, it, we put everything in Pelican cases that weigh 35 pounds. So oh, wow. that, that leaves you with... 15 pounds of actual luggage. So what we learned- That's a trek. (laughs) That is a trek, yeah. And it's it's all the way up to Michigan. But what we learned early on was that uh, uh, if you fly first class, they give you 70 pound allowance for bags. Oh. So it was cheaper to get a first class ticket than it is to pay for heavy luggage. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise they charge you like round trip, like $500 a bag. Right. Or or you pay $1,000 for one round trip first class ticket and the bags are free. So it was cheaper. So I called Brad and I was like, look, I'm not trying to get a first class ticket. I'm just saying this is probably the cheapest way to go. So he does it. He spends way more money on my plane ticket than anybody else's. Um, I fly up there and Delta loses the bags. So (laughs) I have no show. Like everything that I'm coming to do, I don't have. So I was like, oh shit, fuck it. Let's try the shadow thing. So you guys have been to Paracon, yeah? No, I, 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 yeah, we've uh, tried to go, but one day, but yeah, I've heard, yeah, many stories. It's, it's the kindest, most amazing experience. Mm-hmm. So I go and I'm like, all right, we'll try the shadow project here, but it's, it's in a native American casino. It has no haunted history. There's no ghosts there, you know, that you would think of. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, this is going to be a bust. We're not going to see Thomas or Edward for sure. They live at the Stanley. So um, I go around the room and have the room create a ghost. And um, as we're creating the shadow, um, I asked somebody, you know, what's its gender? And they said, female, it's a woman. I said, how old is the woman? And this person goes, 18. Uh, what color is her hair? Blonde. What color is her eyes? Blue. Um, uh, tell me something that the girl likes. Oh, she loves daisies. And I said, tell me something that the girl doesn't like. And this woman, you know, kind of shudders. 
And mind you, it's a paranormal convention. So there's a lot of mediums and empaths and all these people there. This woman like physically shudders. It goes, I don't know why I have to tell you this, but um, she doesn't like cars. And I was like, what the hell is that? Where'd that come from? I was like, okay, I found my crazy tonight. Great. We're not going to do anything else. <laughs> um, so then I asked somebody else. I said, what's the girl's name? And that person says, her name is Christine. And from the very back of the room, I hear this guy go, what the fuck? <gasps> and it was, I did, he's far back, but it was disruptive. And it was kind of this, I couldn't tell if it was angry or if it was a reaction. Huh. Um, but I, I just stay away from that back corner. I'm like, I don't know what's going on back there, but I'm going to do the show. So we do the show. Everything happens through Christine. Um, I leave the room. And as soon as I step out of the room, this very, very obviously ex-military guy, you know, he's about my age, but in great physical shape. Um, he walks up to me and goes, I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And he's a little aggressive. And I, he goes, what the fuck was that? I said, it's just a show. And he goes, that was not a show. Uh, and I said, it was, he goes, it was just, I said, it's just a show. He goes, did you, did you look me up before you? I was like, uh, I don't even know who you are. I'm sorry, I, I have no idea who you are. And he goes, then how did you know about Christine? Oh my God. And I said, I, I don't know anything about Christine. Those people just made it up. They just made it up. And he goes, well, let me show you something. He pulls up his cargo pants and tattooed down his right cap is a cross. And in the cross is the name Christine. And he said, my daughter had blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, she died in a car accident at the age of 18 while she was leaving high school. It was a hit and run. Um, she loved daisies. And everything that happened in the show had some connection to her. Everything that happened was like some synchronicity for this man. Why? So he goes, what is that? And I honestly had to look at him and go like, I don't know. I We didn't do that. It wasn't intended. Um, you could be a very skeptical person and walk away and go, that was a really weird coincidence. And that would be fine. Oh. But at this point, I'd been around the paranormal enough that I was like, maybe that was Christine's way of letting you know she's still here. She's still yeah. yeah. You know, maybe that was her way of giving you a hug today of just maybe you needed to hear from her today. And here's this big, buff, amazingly powerful man that just lost. You know, he just gave me a big hug. Uh, yeah. And when you have that happen, uh, you can't. You cannot not see the supernatural in that. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't have an experience like that and step away and go, what was that? So when we opened the Queen Mary um, in 2018, just after that week, we wrote a show about the ship and uh, we ran that show for about two weeks. And then I told my fiance about the Shadow Project and she was like, oh, we should try that here. Mm. Let's just randomly try it and see what happens. So the show we wrote was about three different passengers of the ship that were real. So then we do the shadow project one night and the very first night we do the shadow project. Uh, the audience creates literally one of the people that we have been talking about for the last two weeks. They describe this man, they dress him in a tuxedo, um, they accurately name the town that he was from. And then when I ask for his name, they name him like, what the hell is that? And it was so intriguing that my fiance and I are like, we got to do that again. Yeah. We got to do that again. So the next time we do it, um, we go around the room and uh, somebody creates a man who has, uh, who's tall, has blonde hair and blue eyes. And then I get to this, the naming part. And I look at this kind of surfer dude. And I was like, what's the man's name? And he goes, Rodriguez. 
So they've just created a very pale, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man. So you wouldn't associate <laughs> Rodriguez with that. Yeah. Right? This woman in the back of the room loses it. She starts crying and she goes, I have to go. And she gets up and walks out of the theater. Um, so Becca, my fiance, was like, what the fuck is that? So she runs out just to make sure she's okay. And she's in tears. She's very emotional. And uh, this woman then proceeds to tell Becca that her dad was from Argentina. Um, his name was Antonio Rodriguez. Uh, he had long blonde hair. Mm -hmm. He would wear in a ponytail and bright blue eyes. And he traveled to the United States in tourist class on the Queen Mary. Oh, my God. And that is part one of our Halloween special with Holly Weird, Paranormal, and our special guest, magician and apparitionist, Aiden Sinclair. Please be sure, guys, to follow him on Instagram at Aiden Sinclair Magic. If you're interested in attending the 57 Ghosts Seance, a theatrical experience on the Queen Mary with Aiden himself, then venture on over to thequeenmary.com forward slash tours underneath the tour icon you'll find all the events and tours especially that one of 57 ghosts and the great ghost experience if you love holly weird paranormal please be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook at holly weird paranormal we're also on x under at hwp podcast if you love holly weird paranormal please guys head on over to apple podcast give us a rating and review it helps us become more visible and if you want to learn more about the podcast and even support the podcast, head on over to our website, hollyweirdparanormal.com. You'll read our bios. You can message us. You can get caught up with other episodes. You can venture our merchandise store and our Patreon page for as little as $1 or more per month. You can support the podcast, get goodies, and be inducted into our secret podcast society of Saturday Night Ghost Club. And it is a wonderful little secret podcast filled with ghost stories collected off the street from strangers, our friends and acquaintances, because everybody has a ghost story. Am I right? If you have a ghost story to share for our listeners tales episode, then please send them over to hollyweirdparanormal at gmail.com. All right, folks, stay tuned for part two of our Halloween special with special guest magician and illusionist and apparitionist Aiden Sinclair as we continue with the 57 ghosts of the Queen Mary and more hauntings of the Stanley Hotel. It gets even weirder, it gets creepier, and it downright gets Holly weird. We hope that you have a wonderful, happy, and safe Halloween. Stay Holly weird. 